0: Welcome to an episode of the Tefo Mahapi Show, hosted by myself. The show explores the impact, whether famously or infamously, some of my guests have had on the world. I believe that opening businesses and and the healthy capitalism without the corporations which destroy the environment. I think be naive to say that we've completely overcome any polarizing or divisive issues on a racial front. We thank you for taking some time out to listen to the podcast. How do I pronounce
1: your name? Is it Higinio or Higinio? It's Hinio. Uh, Hino. Hino. Just... Spanish, right?
0: Yeah. Yeah. G is all weird.
1: Yeah. Most people call me Hig.
0: There's, there's actually, I don't know if you listen to rap. There's actually a, a line by Drake. I think I can't remember which song it is, but it's like a popular line where he says something like "real G's moving silence like lasagna." So when you say the G silent, I just remember that. Just to kick this off, I think the word hacker has has taken sort of an evolution of its own and. From where I sort of got an intro to computers and computer networks wow. in the late 90s, it, it doesn't mean what I grew up knowing it to mean. I mean, what's your thoughts on that? It's just sort of almost totally changed from what it originally meant.
1: I don't know. I mean, it started with the train club, you know. So <laughs> how inclusive is that? It was unpopular to begin with, I guess is the way yes. to say it. You know, I guess that's the the best way to say it. So when you say hacking and, and, you know, and you're trying to generalize it in that kind of way, I think that's the problem because ultimately even the definition is general. It, It can literally include everything of everything. And that's just because it's just using any tool or anything, right? Any object outside of its intended usage. So, I mean, it's so draft and whatever, but the community as a whole has changed, especially from, you know, as it got more popular, as movies like Sneaker came out and, you know, hackers, obviously, and Matrix movies. It's a self-defining culture as it is. So that's the other thing. Like, I really hate the question because it's constantly Morpheus. Um, the context that I see it used a lot in, in information security, hackers are, you know me wearing my hoodie and, and and hacking on things whether it's hacking on some code or or hacking on a web server during a penetration task whatever that's what i'm doing i guess that's my definition of it that's how i use it
0: but i like what you say that like it's more about and i guess I, I need to change my thinking and not think that it's changed it's probably has when you say that it's uh, using a tool or something out of its intended use right <laughs> like, and, like finding you say, new, and finding new ways to use it let me put it right. mildly that way
1: right which which at the root of is what just inventions right yeah and so <laughs> since time existed this this thing has gone and we just recently called it hacking but it's i don't know i've never thought and, and that's the thing right i have i have privilege of my position and stuff to to be able to say like I didn't have to do a lot of the studying because I'd already already done it. I, I know the process. It's, I, I've done it. And when you're taking ownership of a culture, I'd rather you know just say, eh, it's, I'm more of a participant. And you would see it. I mean, hacking is a
0: culture. That's definitely true. It's got its own set of norms or ways of doing things
1: and the way people speak. Well, I think it just has a varying, and that's what makes it so great, right? It's a culture who the definition of hacking is so fluid, right? That, like, anything outside of the norm is actually part of the norm. Like, that's an accepted norm. You know what I mean? Yeah, everybody yeah. has a different definition, so everybody defines that culture differently. And so you end up with a mixed mash of, of both culture and, you know, there's people in security who are hardcore blue teamers. There's guys who are hard, you know, red teamers. There's guys who are like, nah, it doesn't matter. But all those cultures mix together in hacking. And so now it, it really is impossible to find just for my listeners who
0: might not know what a red teamer is and a blue teamer just a quick summary of
1: what that is. Well, red team, you know, is a very specific term. You're pretending to be the adversary, right? You're using the same tools, using the same techniques, you're using the same methodologies and everything, right? You even put it as an APT or as the bad guys. And you're you're working with and on the side of blue team, right? You're trying, you, the whole idea of you being, pretending to be the bad guy is to be able to teach the good guys how to stop you. Yeah. What upgrades can we do? What better policies or procedures? What training needs to be done? And then, then there's, you know, a p- penetration company, which is essentially the same thing, but minus the blue team thing. That's that's an added feature, right? That's an upsell. And a blue team is essentially the opposite, right? They're the, they're the good guys. They're the hackers who are paid to secure that network. Blue teamers are still hackers. They just have a different mission. They have to keep the other hackers out.
0: I think that's where it becomes a bit more interesting because the red teamers or the culture of being a red team is almost frowned upon or has become more and more frowned upon as the years go by. Even though, and I'll I, I need you to correct me if I'm wrong, even though, in, in as much as most or some red teamers want to do damage as far as the work that they do in terms of discovering vulnerabilities or breaking into systems etc part of the work involves again finding those vulnerabilities so that they can be solved so that other people don't have to experience them am i right
1: well right the the whole thing is is a lot more fluid and merged right yeah it's not binary right it's not a bad guy just yeah it's the teams the cost of running a red team effectively uh, are the same costs that are relied or that are are the bad guys depend on right so that's a whole budget that 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 red team, that specific red team, can be utilized inside the organization as just active blue teaming. A red team a red team for a company that does web application stuff is likely heavily based in that, right? A good overall team is always good, but there are Mixtures of that, and that's where the the community and the uh, industry is going.
0: So yeah, I mean, it's as you say, it's fluid. There's this one day you might be on the red team, the other day you might be on the blue team. But I think the ultimate mission is to try and, as part of the culture, to try and improve systems, to try and improve the internet, to try and improve device security,
1: security, etc. That's an often overlooked part of it, right? Like, it's cool if you're a, a really cool hacker but it, you're less of a cool hacker if you get hacked by another hacker. So ultimately, yeah, you're red team or blue team, you're living for the organization itself. You know, you're not overcompensating on one or the other. And there's even, you know, if you have a huge sock, there's a good chance that in that sock there's going to be some guys who are going to be looking into creating at least a Loosely hacking team
0: having said that there's always people who might be using it purely for malicious purposes we we can't rule that out.
1: yeah, so you know I mean you can you see a lot of that with insider threat being pretty high up there. That's a real concern in a lot of companies. the end users the problem was always you know quote unquote the end user's stupid, but you're seeing less of that now. The end user's really smart, and they're gonna try to get get around all your fucking techniques, right. So yeah. you got be you, you gotta be ready for that. you gotta expect that almost right And that's
0: another angle I mean usually people think that and I'm, I'm speaking mainly from a data breaches point of view where people try to steal companies' data. What you see most of the time, what I've observed is that it's either negligence from the inside. Or somebody from the inside who knew how to find their way through that network or through those databases? Is it the same in, in the hacking systems or hacking security of systems? And The cases are more of people with a sort of intimate knowledge of the network from the inside that are doing the damage rather than from the outside?
1: Yeah, and it does vary by industry, right? You look at the fact breaches in the, in the hospital field, and you're looking at attacks where It's mostly from the inside. The people who steal the data, the people who try to get into taking personal information from the end users, those kind of people generally are higher in health than than most others. So I'm very familiar with user behavior analysis and stuff like that to try to catch the shady stuff, right? DLP and that kind of stuff. But you have on the other side, people taking advantage of like the industry itself, right? You have like the Nintendo hack, different cases where these companies were hacked into and, and persistent exfiltration of their data was like number one, right? But it was used off a credentials from say the lead programmer. The inside guys are the guys that you need to protect your end users as much as you protect yourself. And that's the problem. You're balancing this triad of confidentiality, right, integrity in, in access and access and just trying to get in the middle. But the end users are getting smarter and so the threat changes, right? We're, we're seeing APTs that are Nation-based now, you have the technology that they use alone uh, is a career path. Like that's a whole, that's a big deal. Uh, and and yeah. then you have the script kitty who's downloading a regular program because man, I work at a at a fast food place and I want to steal all the credit cards. So yeah, how do I do that? Just download electronic. a ready-made a ready-made script that they can run to to get it, that exactly. Do it by hand a couple times and then save up the money by the applicant. So, uh, unfortunately, you know, <laughs> unfortunately, that's just kind of how it goes. And so, if the threat changes, your threat model changes, and all this, you know, there's the whole methodology to it, to what you use. But that's why training, like constant training, is so important. You know, you got to constantly read, you're constantly trying new operating systems, trying out the newest POCs. And what I've actually been trying to do, you know, do the update reversals and looking at the disclosures and then trying to figure out that where the vulnerability is right what
0: so wait, what do you mean update reversals like uh, reverse
1: engineering uh, patches and stuff yeah so like patches that would come out for a particular model of cisco for instance or a model okay. of you know name brand of clients taking ah, that I and see. like diffing diffing you know those code patches and how that would, it, it's, it's it's a whole nother you know that's a whole another career path you know, and I think that's, that's probably the best indication of how much you want to get into it, really. Because you're, that's all you're doing. You're studying all the time. You're constantly trying to, to figure out that hole so that you can protect the people better. How much do you want to understand that flaw? You want to see the down to the code? Do you want to see what, exactly what is making every little bit move? Or, you know, are you just going to just patch and say, okay, that's it? And if you can find ways to mitigate, to get away around patches that's even better.
0: Yeah, it's education and research obviously sounds like something that's extremely important or extremely important to the sort of culture of hacking, if I can put it that way. And doesn't that bring in the idea among the hacker community? And I'll get back to you formally introducing yourself a bit later. But doesn't that bring into the... Sort of the culture of the hacking community—the idea that you're only as good as your street cred is established based only, not only how much you know, but like your expertise. So, like, you have to prove yourself as part of the culture to be respected.
1: No, I, don't, I really don't think so. I, I think it's natural. No, I think okay, no, yeah, yeah. And I'll tell you why. Is research important? Yes, right. And, and, mm-hmm. and is get is getting a specialization good? Of course, right. I mean, there are some people that are trained in the military to be snipers and they are really good at sniping right yeah really good at it. and hey if you want to do that do it there's people who specialize in in web penetration testing right of special weird ways to hack web apps ways to get around WAFs and and take over firmware of Cisco routers for instance but being able to do these things adds to your creds right so that doesn't invalidate you or make it so that you're worth less in the community because everybody does their thing.
0: What would you say is key to establishing sort of your cred in a, in a hacker community?
1: Open openness and willingness to share your idea, and that's because uh, whatever you're hacking, right? Whether you're you're hacking a cell phones or or maybe you're just hacking Linux boxes or you're you're you know hacking toasters. Whatever you're hacking, to do said hacking requires work, right? Like, if if you're doing a penetration test for instance on IoT devices, you may set up your mesh and try to, you know, break into that network. Well, in the very process of doing that, you have two options. You can take notes as you, you know, as you're studying your thing and, and then publish those notes, right? Okay. Or you can keep that to yourself and come up with a really cool exploit, and then release that exploit as something, right? Yeah. Or you can keep it to yourself and do something else. And that, I think, is what you need to do. If you hold on to everything, right, and you don't disclose anything, and you just, uh, you're still a hacker, but you're not going to add to the community. And so overall, you're not going to get the street cred. If you just go around telling people, hey, I can do this, I can do this, I can do that. But But not feeding back the knowledge into the community, Exactly. And naturally, let's say IoT again, if you're going to yeah. do that, you need antennas, you need baseboards, you need things, you know what I mean? You need things to, to hook up and, and to interact with yeah, yeah. that. So you write some blogs on that, and you post it, and you get your 10 followers on Twitter to, to read it. You do a YouTube thing and you get 40 people, right? You're still learning your whole thing. You're, maybe the setup, you record it and you set it on YouTube. That giving back to the community, that you building your cred. I guess is the best way to put it. You can do bug bounties and go and tell people that you're badass and you're blah, blah, blah. Because look, I got this and, you know, different thing out. And that's cool. That gets you to a certain coolness, right? (laughs) To a certain group. (laughs) But hacker culture by definition has that open sharingness there. And so if you're doing bug bounty programs and you're not writing about them, then you're wasting your chance, I guess. I'm not going to say it's bad. It's not great. But you're, you're wasting the chance. To raise the bar for the community. To grow the community, I guess. Right. And that's where you get your credit, you know, and that's, that's a weird way of putting it, but that's what makes the hacker culture so accessible. Because as long as you're sharing with that culture, that culture will give back to you. I think you've summed it up perfectly. And now back to you, I mean, as a formal introduction,
0: who is Hino, who's Hidge Ochoa, and <laughs> how did he get into hacking and what is he doing now
1: and what did he do in the past? You know, I, I'll save the juicy bits for the book. Oh, Are <laughs> you writing a book? Uh Well, I plan on it. That's I have good. some things That's in the yeah. Well, because I want to, if anything, lend my story to make sure no one does make the same mistake, right? It started with a beige box that my grandmother had brought over. She worked for EEG uh, technicians. She worked for uh, the EEG doctor, right? And the neurologist. She was the one that hooked up, right? All the little diodes and stuff to your head and read, read the machine. And for whatever reason, she needed a computer. So she went out and bought a computer and she got the added floppy drive i oh, know sorry cd-rom so if it's it cd-rom comes, this is this, this is late the, 80s 90s 90s yeah. yeah yeah i'd say early 90s and, and we're talking like again buying a cd-rom was a secondary purchase like, That's yeah. how long ago this was essentially comes over and says here here's a box um, it has had the cd-rom in it at the time it was aol and prodigy she had both their cds and uh, she's like here and he put one of these on and yeah. so i did I, I figured it out and then and, in fact, the first time I put it in, I put the CD-ROM upside down. <laughs> it was the Molex. Yeah. The Molex connector was plugged in, right? But like, yeah. when I hit the CD button, it's like, all upside down. <laughs> <laughs> I was yes. like, ah. Oh. So, took it apart, took the whole case apart, and you know, flipped it over, and popped up Windows... I want to say it was Windows 3.1, but she had bought Windows 95. Or was she running? Man, that was so long ago. Anyway, the, the point was that, you know, popped that machine on and I installed AOL and the modem. It had a modem I had to put in there, installed the yep. drivers for that, got Prodigy, you know, and hooked up. And there you go, Grandma. Well, how do I surf the web? We both just had the computer. Well, I had learned it and I had to teach it to her the whole time. It's not that she hated technology. She was just, she used computer. To the day, but for whatever reason, she was like, here, go give it a try. I loved it. I mean, I, at that time, I, was, I thought I was, was going to be an oceanographer. I was all into water and fish and sharks and tidal waves and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. You still you into know? oceanography? No, because hacking has taken up a lot of my time. I mean, at the time, uh, right, my dad was in the Coast Guard a large portion of my life. So, I was always around water.
0: So, grandma, computer, you guys were learning the internet, and then what happened?
1: Years go on between them, right? So, she gets that off, and then, you know, I would go to my grandma's house just to play her. And so, eventually, the dad was like, yeah, you need a computer, man. Get out have the computer. So, he went and bought a computer, right? And he got into it and really kept it going. Anytime I wasn't there with grandma, right? Because you can only tell grandma so much if you're in the same state, but we were moving around all the time, so. I got into, like, web design and stuff early on was my thing. B- video games and, uh, like, Doom and Wolfenstein, right? And, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. All the good ones. Um, <laughs> i play a game, do a website. Play a game, do a website, you know? Cheats and stuff were being found and freely shared, right? And it wasn't, the net was not as robust as it is now. Yes. <laughs> not at all. Like, like, you had to, you know, things like uh, website, like, rotations, right? Like, I only want to see sites that are linked with your little web portal thing. And you just click next and you can see all the, that's and the little it, web. That's it. Yeah, A little web ring. So learning all those tricks, learning how to get the clicks was pretty much my upbring. Not too much longer, but I was on, God, was that chat room? VB. Yeah, I, don't, I don't know that one yet. Yeah? Oh. Visual Basic. Ah, yes,
0: Visual Basic. Microsoft, I think Microsoft eventually took it over.
1: Yeah. Right. And so you could go into an AOL chat room and go into uh, the chat room VB, and that's where the hackers were at that time, right? Learning to write their exploit codes, trying to find things that, that broke and hacked things so you could build booters and password stealers and stuff like that well as we got older and as we moved and stuff the need essentially came to you know i need to get online i need to get on aol but i don't have a credit card right i've been kicked off and banned from all the free accounts already So i was starting trouble i was just you know i was being a teenager in aol and it wasn't even teenagers was preteens i was just an uh, internet troll from a young age You know, and got into programming and stuff. To me, programming was, I won't say natural, but it just, it made sense in my head. So I went from oceanographer to web design and computer programming. I would break in and steal. I mean, at this time, the password and the login were the exact same. Yeah? Yeah. Like, we're not talking like, you know, 47 characters of... Nah, this was early (laughs) days,
0: man. This (laughs) was early days of the internet.
1: Well, relatively early days, yeah. Consumer-wise. yeah, jones3250, likely the password was jones3250, you know? And so, and I think
0: this is when you could still use, uh, what you call this, if you wanted to crack passwords, you could still use like a database of sort of a text file full of random passwords and sort of brute right. force your hack, brute force hack your way into, a, into an account.
1: Yeah, you know, rate limiting was, you didn't have the bandwidth to need yeah. rate limiting, you know what yeah. I mean? In, in those days, you know hacking was simpler I guess and and you could you know there's different guys out there if you wanted to program you had to learn the, the Windows API right in yes. Visual Basic sorry program When in Windows so you had to learn the Windows API and how all that worked and stuff so it was it was a fun time pretty much went off and on like that for most of my life. There's a juicy part though I wouldn't take all the juicy part from your future book
0: which you eventually I hope you will write but then as time went on then you got uh, I think hacking sort of and this is where the term hacktivism starts to to be introduced is when hacking becomes part of sort of missions of of like linked to societal missions if i can put uh-huh. it that way yes
1: yeah. okay so around the early 90s i want to say sorry late 90s i was doing like hardcore hacking hacking just hacking to learn to hack right yeah yeah i need a shell for my irc bouncer okay Where do i find shells at Oh look the local library has shells. How do I get access to them from remotely? Cool. Okay. Now I got now I'm on IRC. All right, so you hacked AOL to get some kind of internet or this time we had paid for an ISP so that wasn't an issue. But yeah. then you would, you know, pivot to these boxes. And on IRC you would meet up in and I would go talk to programmers, I'd go talk to hackers, I'd hang out in the eHap rooms in the 2600s and just kind of learned, you know? Like, and in <laughs> some
0: way, IOC was so much better than Twitter, well, from, 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 from my, in my opinion.
1: Oh yeah, it was, the communications were, were just, you know, and that was it. Like, if you had your channel and your mods, and you, that, that was your world. And, and you defended that righteously, that was, you know, this is mine, we're this hacking crew, and we have, you know, these bots is and this is our network we made correct and so you know you could go hack a website not worry about getting arrested cuz there's no law no nah, there was nothing <laughs> it was still early days <laughs> and so that kind of stuck most of till 2010 2011 right i had a uh I was hanging out with a friend up in michigan and i had a i don't know 30 40 minute drive yeah. and so we're driving along and just you know talking we haven't seen each other in a while and he's like hey my friend's having a meeting do you remember her? And I was like, Oh my God. Yeah. I remember her. And she, he's like, Hey, she's having a get together. You want to go? Yeah, man, I'll go. I've been part of the anonymous movement for a long time, a really long time. And, and not in a hacking form, but just in a laughing with them. And I was a cheerleader, I guess for a long yeah, time, yeah. right? Go, you guys, you know, that's funny. Shit. Yeah. Uh, and I had written for at this time, three, maybe uh, independent, like little news startups, right? Blogs, I guess. I was essentially writing for and writing about anonymous stuff. Hey, they did this really funny thing where they raided this chat room, right? And then this other funny thing where they did the. In those days, it was like all the stuff they were doing were
0: mostly for the, for the laughs, as you say, for the lulz And it wasn't like very, yeah. very serious.
1: Yeah, exactly. Well, as that started to get more militarized, more mission orientated, I was kind of already on the fringe. I was a hacker, so obviously anyone who was hacking under the banner of Anonymous would be in my circle. I was learning uh, tons and tons and tons, just soaking it all in that I could about corporate networks. Uh, I ran, by that time, my own network, and I ran and understand bigger networks. But enterprise networks at that time was just an astronomical number, right? IP addresses can be these and all this crazy stuff to think of. But, But at that age, I was... I was ready for it. So, so ready to I, get into to
0: action and actually acting.
1: Yeah, cuz I've been talking and I've been talking the talk for so long, you know what I mean? You're doing the retweets and you're engaging and you're having these conversations and it's just like fuck it.
0: I'm ready to get into action.
1: <laughs> yeah, in my call to action. That trigger moment. I was doing copwatch, one of the occupiers who were having their camps raided. And I was and by, cop. by occupy okay.
0: is, you mean occupy like Wall Street movement,
1: right? So I've i I'd been on the fringe, and this you know the militarization happened, and then this uh, this thing happened. Well, during one of the raids, there was a, a lady who, a little older lady, who had a seizure because it was late at night. The lights were flashing from the police sirens, like it was just you know not good for epileptics, and she had a seizure. Yeah, and the cop abused the fuck out of her just you know hit her cuffed her roughed her uh, while she's having the seizure and that that triggers something in my brain i for the longest time have epilepsy right like my entire life so i don't have it as bad the flashing lights trigger me so i don't it doesn't that doesn't bother me you know you have that shared kinship like man that could have been me you know yeah like i have epilepsy well, flashing lights don't affect me but what if they did and you know that that triggers something in a human being when they when they connect that much with another human being and, and yeah it was over the internet and it was on a stream you know i'm watching the stream i'm listening to the police uh radios uh of like four districts or and uh, surrounding that place you know i'm doing all this intel all this stuff is feeding into you and that it just snaps i'm ready for action this is this is enough at this time the cops were, were escalating their violence there were a lot of shady tactics being involved attracting people infiltrating groups and breaking them up it was just getting to the point to where it was like the core of this particular problem uh happened to have been americans po- america's police at the time and so that's the action that i took and so i went after those organizations and i think i did really good <laughs> <laughs> I mean,
0: well that's uh, what i'm chatting to you.
1: <laughs> Well, I mean I mean, in a six-month tour de France because that was a whole thing. Like, like I knew that I was going to get caught. I knew it was going to happen because I knew I wasn't what,
0: perfect. What, what made you and believe that you were going to get caught?
1: Because if I didn't believe that, then I wouldn't be prepared. I see. And that's just how my brain works. <laughs> yeah. If I wasn't prepared to fail, then... When I, if I do fail, it's going to be triply hard, and that means recovery is going to be hard. When something bad happens in your life, there's a recovery time for that, and you want that to be minimum. It, I didn't have to use crazy techniques. I didn't have to infiltrate large organizations and do like spearfishing attacks to to get into the CEO to destroy this corporation. There was enough low hanging fruit that you could mass produce it. And hey, if you're going to mass produce something, boom, let's do this.
0: You know what I mean? So, so you would say at the time, like the police databases were, because it, were, it wasn't the early days of the internet, but it was sort of like the security was a bit found wanting, if I can put it that way.
1: Yeah, because there was really no, ne- no necessary need for it outside of the fact that we need security. I guess if that makes so sense. So it was mainly right.
0: access control security. The
1: right person with right, like, the right permissions must have access to it. Well and the fact of the matter is these are cops who are on the street getting shot at and, and messed with all the time, right? So like yeah. they're not that concerned about what their website looks like. You know, they want they want to have bullets and they want to have gas in their car and they wanna go and do that stuff. They don't wanna worry about their website.
0: So then you manage to get into that and the interesting part I think earlier you, you mentioned this where you'd want to write a book about part of it not how not to get caught. I mean, (laughs) but you also, you also say you were prepared to fail. So what led to you being
1: caught? Well, I mean, ultimately it was a failure in, in operational security. I'm pretty well known for the, the boot picture that slipped, right? Yes. And like that was definitely a defining moment in the court's, uh, evidence against me. Uh, but it wasn't the first slip up I've had you know what okay. i mean and and, and and that boob picture was uh, it was the
0: metadata on the on the photo that led to you being
1: caught right that's correct and i've read my fair share of horrible 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 miscategorizations of like hey how does this guy get ca- caught if he's a super hacker and you know but the truth of the matter was i knew the metadata was there uh, i had policies and procedures that i would do uh, to make sure that shit didn't get leaked. But if you go back and look at the tweets. And like how that whole thing played out. I was in the middle of an operation. And I wanted to send out three pictures. But I only had two. Now okay. the, the other two were used in prior hacks. And they'd been scrubbed. So you
0: scrubbed all the metadata out of them.
1: Right. Now the third one. I wasn't or hadn't hacked the, a third defacement where I could use it. Right. And so now I have a a thing where I need to put three images out on Twitter and I only have two images that I know are hundred percent clean. And I'm like, ah, like, you know, maybe they won't notice or whatever. And I was like, no, I'll clean it. I'll try to go through the process. And it just didn't happen. You know, I'm hacking away at a box like, fuck, I need to send this tweet. Throw them and over. just
0: took another picture and just put it up.
1: Yeah. And it's like, you know, when you're, it sounds easy when you're doing one or two things, but when you're doing, you know, you're running a scanner looking for your next vulnerabilities, you're, you're checking on the actual xfill of one database while you're trying to exploit another database, maintaining your connections, you know, making sure you got the speeds correct and you're not just wasting CPU cycles. You know, when you're doing that kind of stuff, it's easy to forget. And to that the stress of the whole thing as well. Well, yeah, yeah, you know, you're trying to do it all in a day. So I did have to maintain my job. The, the flurry of a mix the, of emotions and like just adrenaline, uh, you know, I still had to have a, a real life. You have to maintain that reality with your friends. You know, I would go and hang out with my brother afterwards to like a really big hack or something like that. And I just go hang out, watch a movie with them. And I would tell them shit, right? And you can ask my family, man. They thought I was crazy. Because I would, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? You just... You show up and you're like, Hey, Mom. Hey, Dad. Hang out. Talk. And then be like, Oh, yeah. So tomorrow, don't use your Visa card, MasterCard, or, you know, just don't do not do that. Oh, and they're like, What? <laughs> what? Yeah, just don't do that, Mom. You know, don't... Look. Just take my word for it, Mom. When, when you're done, when we have two, three days, you'll be fine. Okay. You know, roll her <laughs> eyes and shit. Well... Then when it happens, the next day you wake up and it's like breaking news: Visa, PayPal shut down. You know? Yeah, like,
0: yeah, um, yeah. I know what a, happened. Yeah, yeah, that's a coincidence.
1: Yeah. yeah, Well, and then two or three coincidences go by, and she's still, you know, wow, man, you know what's going on, huh? And I'm like, yeah, you know, you should listen to me. Be safe. But probably uh, at
0: that time, they didn't. Did they think that you were doing those shutdowns, or did no, they think that you? No, they, they probably thought you knew people who were doing
1: yeah yeah not a single one of my family members and and, you know they're all on record they'll tell to this day you know had didn't believe a single fucking word i was saying not that i wasn't good that good or that whatever but just that they couldn't believe that something i was doing was making these headlines and and, you know what i mean
0: so eventually i mean after all these operations these website defacements these these web uh, shutdowns these breaking into i think part of it was breaking into some databases and getting some identities of police or staff you eventually well, yeah. got caught <laughs>
1: that was the idea right we were the idea behind the operations were to disrupt operations and shutting down other occupations and like essentially disrupt the police enforcement of occupy and you know police state like stuff
0: yeah and then i think eventually as you mentioned i mean the part of it was the metadata on that photo fbi arrest happened you served your time and You were banned, apparently, from the internet for some time. Yes, I was, yeah. When I was reading that and why hacking... For me, what fascinated me about hacking and what sort of got and piqued my interest in hacking was in the 90s. Uh, And you probably know him, Kevin Mitnick. Yes. So I, I was very lucky. So when I went to uh you, what equivalent of university here uh, but it was called Technicon I was studying electrical engineering and only the electrical engineering students had uh free access to the computer lab which had unlimited internet, even though it was dial up. So i <laughs> and, and awesome. the, the computer science, the computer science students had limited access, which was weird. I don't know why they did it like that back then. Yeah. Anyway, so I, I would spend lots of time that was my introduction most of my introduction to the internet and I'll do a lot of reading up and I would come across like I think it was two two thousand six hundred. The, the, yeah. the site and the, and the blog and the cult of the dead cow and all these guys. And I do a lot of reading, a lot of playing around with tools, and co- learning how to program and all that. And it was very interesting. Then I came across the, the name Kevin Mitnick and it was like yeah. similar yeah. thing. He, he broke into databases. He broke into systems. He was arrested. And to me, that's why when we earlier in the podcast, I was like, part of it is trying to, make systems better and it didn't make sense well back then to me it didn't make sense that he was so like heavily punished for doing something that they could have sort of said to him okay we see what you've done here's sort of a minimal punishment because it's wrong but also to say come come work with us come show us how you go about look, sort of testing these systems and breaking into them
1: globally accept or er, accepted that kevin mitnick was to be made example of, right? The laws were rarely, if ever, tested at this point. Like, the people who would do the defending and the prosecuting had seen little to no casework on it. There's no... Everything you were doing was could have a lasting impression on how the rest of the judicial system would react to it. So nowadays, it's almost guaranteed what your time is because you can defend things like he can launch missiles with a whistle. Right? which like that's is not defend- true right yeah. that's de- that's defendable. you could say no no I that cannot nobody can and so what ends up being 10-year sentences you know those are given out to the financial losses right if you manage to hack like I did right I I may I lost a lot of points because I didn't go for any sort of financial gain right there was I wasn't selling email addresses I wasn't yeah. doing any of that. With no financial gain, well, then we, you, you can't have so many points, right? You don't get supercharged with it. You don't get The time that we got was obviously more because we were ultimately trying to just make whatever better. My love attack and Midnik's love attack ultimately is what drove us into the things that we did. We were both just took an opportunity and ran with it, right?
0: And now, I mean, we we at a stage where it's become common knowledge that Anonymous carries out. Uh, sort of these type of attacks i guess those were sort of the early days of those attacks nowadays they mostly carry out or groups affiliated again i think people need to understand that anonymous is not the central organization with a single leader or something like that nowadays they carry mostly sort of ddos attacks or denial of service attacks and defacements to make a point
1: well yeah the the, the anonymous logo has been co-opted for uh, all sorts of know. things yeah all sorts, yeah <laughs> i mean so so ultimately it's it's the anonymous movement itself is more again it's it's an uncontrollable brand right now it's the perfect banner if you just want to be a rebellious teenager you can fly that banner and i'm not saying there's not hardcore members of it i'm just saying a lot of the groups and the sex of it is i would say other countries less american based right yeah you know like the oh, i cannot think of this name of the city i want to say perth um, but I think it's like Canberra, the, the capital of yeah. Australia. Um, Sydney? You, well, there's Sydney and then there's, uh, where's their, their, their Washington, right? Isn't that, is that Cabrera? Uh, I can't remember right now, but I'll remember later. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever that, that city may be. All the way in, in, in Mexico. Mm-hmm. And there, there's just all these little mini subgroups. They're still fighting the fight. You know, they segmented off into specific groups, groups who are just against police officers or just against child pedophilia, right? There's a lot. It's, Just as decentralized, probably mostly feds by now. Like, there'd be a lot of uh, law enforcement. That's a great low-level analyst job. If you're an FBI, right, go join Anonymous. Um, I see. Well, as part of what? To infiltrate? An information-gathering campaign. Oh, yeah, to keep tabs on what's happening, yeah. Yeah. And if it's not loud enough, you make noise, right? Make a little noise, see if anybody gets reactivated, unquote, or anything like that. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And then that's just how it is throughout the thing. And It's not, I wouldn't say Anonymous is necessarily gone or dead. It's just that the need has not arisen like it had at that point, right? That is a pivotal time in history in general, not just with Anonymous or anything like that, but like in world history, a lot of overthrowings, a lot of rebellions, a lot of greatness, a lot of sadness. Um, and a lot of that still does continue today. And I'm not saying that it was worse than or better than, right? I'm just saying right now... There hasn't been something strong enough or big enough for Anonymous to, I guess, get back together, if that makes sense. <laughs> <Like>
0: <laughs> on, 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 on as big a scale as it did back then.
1: Right, right. Where you had like, active uh, operational chat rooms that were like coordinating coordinating, you know, hundreds of thousands of people to then pass that message on to hundreds of thousands of people.
0: And then where do you, I mean, just to end off the conversation on, on the Anonymous side, where do you then see the sort of hacktivism going, especially online? is it something that's sustainable Are security systems getting better or will mm. it morph into something else or is it at a point where it's so infiltrated by by law enforcement that it's it, it just won't happen on a scale that it used to happen before
1: well even if it did jump to that large of a scale by that point it's already you'd already assume that everybody's a snitch yeah. and so everyone's operational security would ar- already be better like i think if it Everybody came on and said, okay, everyone who ever wants to be anonymous or whatever and grab a laptop and jump online. Like, I feel the operational security of, like, the general public is better now. Less of a, you know, random clicking and more, like, controlled thought and more, I don't know. But that's my thing. Now, that doesn't mean that uh, it won't ever happen and it's not saying that it can't. What I'm, what I'm trying to really emphasize is more, it's a different type of anonymous right now okay Th- then then i've seen it before sleeping again right so, so it's due for some craziness i
0: see and i mean talking of anonymous it doesn't exist uh, in a vacuum it exists in a world where the internet has also changed from the early days when you got your your you and your grandma got a computer and connected it to aol right. one thing that's very frustrating nowadays compared to back then is that we've sort of seen this platform economy where things are becoming centralized where it's almost i don't want to say impossible but i'm tempted to say it's almost impossible to exist or to go into the internet outside of the big platforms what's your
1: thoughts on that if i'm gonna be honest i'm gonna to have to say yes but also no like i agree it's getting harder and harder these days to stay anonymous in that term right yeah i mean there's there are large hurdles to get around but there's networks like I2P there's the Tor network right there's yeah we have found ways to make it a little easier
0: but they're not mainstream and, yet they're not what they're, they're still difficult to connect to for the average consumer not difficult well, but sort of well,
1: I, they're not I get it and, and I agree right no one we don't, the average user shouldn't have to mess with their DNS to connect to the yeah, magical they, internet they want they want to use the internet like a microwave like
0: you plug in and it works
1: right there's, there's always going to be that fight for consumerism in there, right? But there are ways to do it. There's, you know, if you don't pay all your bills, or even if you do pay all your bills online, if that's the scope of your interaction into the world, you're still going to have a much smaller footprint than, say, me, right? Yeah. So it, it is still possible. You just have to be really creative about it. And I think for those who want that privacy right and i understand you want it so bad you want it for everyone you want it for other people i understand that uh, but that's a that's a need in the tech in the the technology circle that's missing yeah like, like this it's this is that's a technical problem the people, if we sat down and said we want an internet that's, you know, really 100% anonymous, you know, we could, we could get that to happen.
0: That's actually true because the skills are there, I guess.
1: Right. On every level, from hardware creation, you know, PCB etching, everything. It's, it's, it's possible and it does exist in various forms. There's mesh networks in, in, you know, huge urban cities. There's, you know, it, it's just a matter of if you, the more you care is, is the amount of solution that you're going to want to look for and find. And what you'll find is nine times out of ten the solution exists, right? Is it it's, extra hard? yeah, but do you want that extra privacy right
0: yeah so you'd say it's just the will is not there from from a good number of people to make it
1: happen yeah, yeah, now I can understand ten, twenty years ago, but but I mean even now I'm you know pretty confident I could teach my grandma exactly how you know to set it up, and you know there are set and forget solutions that that do a great job. Not, not, you know, silver bullets, don't get me wrong.
0: As you say, there's no sort of world to make privacy conscious or, or yeah, privacy conscious mm-hmm. internet solutions sort of at scale. And we're also seeing that personal data privacy is not being taken seriously. And even as consumers, we just adopt sort of solutions or use platforms without a care in the world about our our, our data privacy. And I'll give you an example. I mean, there's this service called Have I Been Pwned? It's run by an Australian dude, Troy Hunt, and he collects all these uh, pwned email addresses and passwords, et cetera. And the latest one I'm just reading now, the latest one he's just published is um, MGM Resorts. You know, the Las Vegas Resorts, MGM? Yeah. They've just had 10.6 million records with 3.1 million unique email addresses breached in 2019. And what's interesting is that, and they include all sorts of personal data which can be used for identity theft, scams, etc. What's interesting is that 82% of those email addresses were already on Havani port. Nice. Which points to the thing that sort of our personal data, again, as I say, is already out there. It's already being abused. And we continue to sort of let these platforms off the hook
1: well it, and, and i want to say as a in a large in a large breach like that the, the company themselves you know need to be looked into and made sure there's that they didn't do anything completely malicious you know in yeah. fact in the equifax you know was was really a prime example of a company just not caring enough but there's yeah. tons of, of breaches out there where the company you know just had a whole bunch of alerts but no one looked at them or you know there was there was some tall tale sign and it wasn't investigated but at the same time it's not to say a it's not to say that the, the solution's not coming right we have the technology we have the brain power we have the everything but in my opinion the will the the ease of use of this integration into our lives right the internet of everything some people a large population you know they have their throwaway email accounts So when I sign into Netflix, I use an email account not associated with my actual email account.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's what I do because I've got my own domain where I create sort of an email address, like email address for every service I I use.
1: Yeah, yeah. See, so if it gets breached, they can keep that as long as the password's different, right? Yeah, that's the other thing. Password managers exist; people just lack the will to use them, and then. That in itself is argument of which is the best, right? Because you don't want to use the best. We have to learn this thing. And, and it really, the conversation should be, how do we get people just to use them in general? And, and then we can argue about which is the best. So that's, uh, unfortunately, unfortunately, breaches are going to continue to happen. Hackers and stuff are going to be uh, selling data because that's what makes money. Countries like Russia where, dude, you can hack anybody you want, just don't hack Russians. Like rules like that allow that criminal criminal element to exist. And if that's acceptable to the world as it seems to be so far uh, there's that level of danger that's going to exist out there
0: but where do you see all this panning out i mean it's for me when i look like when i try to look into the future or try to think about the future it looks a little bit scary because it means that only a few corporations will sort of, again, from the platform economy will be dominant on the Internet because of consumers not interested in, as you say, finding ways to put together solutions that don't let their data be exposed, et cetera, et cetera. And using sort of, we all use the same solutions nowadays for communication. So I'll use an example here that we WhatsApp, WhatsApp, you know, the instant messaging service WhatsApp is quite popular across across the continent, not only in South Africa, but across the continent as an instant messaging service and I believe in the USA what's more popular is Apple's iMessage so we sort of seem to converge around all these solutions where areas back in the and and they're not said decentralized it's not like IRC or things like that they're all centralized to one corporation and looking into the future it seems we're moving into a place where I don't know if I can say this but these corporations are literally becoming like nation states themselves based on 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 the the data and the power they control if i can put it that way
1: and it goes on to how much does one value their personal information but ultimately the missing solution i you know i don't do a lot of future thinking yeah there's a lot of stuff that you you know there's a lot of stuff i'm doing i do on a daily basis i just i worry about you know Yeah. Yeah, yeah but technology wise the next big thing i think that i see likely coming out it's going to start to really change on how the only way to dynamically change that uh is it defederation of it or d de- or maybe even a federation of it however we need a essentially a single sign-on for the world right that you can okay. decouple from services and things like that to go beyond that just a simple password let's say you have your gmail account right okay well the problem is if you use something like OAuth or whatever, then you have to have some kind of connector to talk to that service, right? If you could separate, or if you could use your Gmail account to access every service ever, that would be good, right? If you, and again it's all theoretical, and I don't mean Gmail can be... No, that's fine, that's in, fine. Yeah, it could be any platform, service. Platform agnostic. Yeah. Right? The security of that can be is can where the concentration can be. Because the implementation of it is as much as, okay, I don't want to be a part of the Gmail circle. I want more privacy. I don't like what they're doing. So I want to transfer to a, say, Yahoo. Okay, for, no, that's not any better for security. But the point is, yeah. is, you say, I'm going to go to a Yahoo account. I want a yahoo.com instead of gmail.com. So your, your identity changes. But now you lost all the emails, right? Yeah. And, and what about people who only have that email address? You lost touch with them. Shit, man. Well, what if all that, not only that information... But that identity traveled with you, but you okay. could access them, but you could access them from one part. So imagine if every email address you've ever created was somehow tied to you. I don't know, some kind of like think Pip-Boy style. Yeah, thing. yeah, yeah. So you, you, and that was just you. That was your, your physical fingerprint in the world. You know, I see what you mean. Yeah. But who would but,
0: store this? I mean, who, but, would?
1: but that's the whole thing. That's the missing technology, right? Like, how do you federate that from control? Like you have to, you have we we as users would need the kind of control that would where us saying or not allowing a company to have our information, right? So so if I switch off a of Gmail to Yahoo, Gmail no longer has access to my email,
0: so, so all I'm, the data just leaves and moves to yeah. a new service.
1: Right, right, like like migrates over. Right, that's how you yeah, think yeah. about, I guess. But. All the, that email address was still owned by you, and all the emails going to be forwarded to your new email address.
0: Yeah, just rerouted to your sort of MX records changed automatically and all that.
1: Right, right. You know, and Gmail would lose all their, or Google would lose their rights to access that data, or to you know even store that data. So maybe you know that could be it. The that data doesn't get owned by them, and so it gets owned by whoever you use as your primary. But that's a whole okay. like I said that that's you know. Knitting and picking, but I think I think a solution like that, where, you know, and, and the biggest thing is is how do you, you got to trust it? I, I wouldn't. <laughs> 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 like, like and that that's the biggest issue. If if I wouldn't trust it, I can't expect grandma to trust it, and so it's not going to be adopted because there's probably some like a there's probably a thousand logical holes in my in in that implementation or in in that solution. But my point is, there's going to be there needs to be or should be will be Created a a solution that will make that that integration possible and that migration possible. And when that's, if the popular app there, Snapchat, and you type in Snapchat, you know, and I don't use Snapchat, you have to find another application to access me, right? But yeah. it would be cooler if you could talk to me on Snapchat, even though I don't have an account on Snapchat.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: Well, you know isn't I mean?
0: this isn't this how IRC worked? I mean, it wasn't.
1: Oh, it was exactly. sort of like
0: <laughs> there the, the, the wasn't a centralized. Uh, point everybody could have their own you could have your own server or whatever but you were connecting to a main protocol
1: or main network like yeah like a main hub right Yeah. and that just worked if you didn't like the rules or the people you know you're writing in the same protocols your client worked across these networks but no I don't like that uh, the way uh, you know the types of rules they have against me cussing in a chat room so I'm not going to join that server That's for kids. But Uh, you're still part of the protocol. Right. And if it wasn't for the greediness of of these corporations saying, no, that's my data, or no, these open things can be built upon. That, I guess, is the core of that answer.
0: (laughs) So, So So would you say, I mean, going forward, the key is that as much as we can do a lot on an individual level as far as privacy and security is concerned, the key to really shifting things would be to do these things at scale, like you're speaking about, like, a, a, a system where we can, an ID, a global ID system that decentralized, something like that, that would shift, like, things really quite a lot.
1: If, if there was a, a way that you had an unlosable something, right, and no matter, no matter, like, like your DNA, like, that would yeah. probably be the best, right, if your DNA was the key, for instance, to yeah. control all that stuff, right, like, there you go, but that's the idea, is, We're past the tipping point where is my information out there? It is already. Right. So (laughs) now it's, okay, how do, at the very least, how do I prove to somebody beyond a reasonable, you know, that I am me? When I figure, yeah, when I figure that out in a way that's consumable by everybody, you know, I'll see you at the next, uh, how to be a millionaire pitch or something. You know, like whoever figures that out is going to be the next Bill Gates or the next Steve Jobs. But it's just an acceptance level now. Y- your information's already out there. The mass consumers are already assuming, hey, it's already out there, so why not share it? Or, you know, I don't care. It's just an email address. I can go create another one.
0: But there's consequences to that. I mean, there's identity theft, as I mentioned, and all
1: sorts of others. Oh, right, right. And I'm not saying it's a it's a victimless crime or that it doesn't happen all the time. But by by its very nature you know i think civilization in itself will, will evolve to where you can have my name you can have where i live you can have my social security number you can have everything the real world thinks of me but you'll never have my dna right yeah <laughs> like it's Whoa. impossible Unless well, you grab that, me, that. But
0: that that's that's interesting when you say we will evolve because it, it works both ways. We can yeah. evolve to be better or we can become I mean there's a bird, what's that the dodo or whatever? That, right. Well, yeah, well I'm yeah, not they're, saying they're going to extinct. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and at this rate, I think I think the rate we're going at we are on us going extinct
1: in a yeah, good yeah. century we're or so. We're definitely <laughs> not making we're not making the best choices, I'll give you that. No, <laughs> no. Optimist optimist uh, I I generally try to be, but yeah, I, I agree with you on that. It's 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 a sad sort of affair, and and we're just technology is getting to the point to where we can't control it, and that's that's a tipping point that I think is next. And I don't mean like AI that kills us. I I mean the point of saturation into our lives that it push pushes us as a culture, and and you know it's been happening, it has happened, but I mean to a more extent or a more uh, a saturated extent, right, to where it just saturates everything to where. Six mobile phones, right? right? Or or nine laptops is required uh, on your daily commute just to get to wherever, right? Touch this yeah. pad and, and touch this screen and do this and that. So uh, it, it's only a matter of time. And, and I think it'll get out of our control uh, to the fact to where, you know, PCB creation is going to be so ridiculously easy. Uh, you know, the manufacturing process is easier.
0: Yeah, I man, I'm. I'm not. As I say, I'm not exactly optimistic, especially when looking at the internet in terms of where we're going as 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 humans. I think, yeah, we headed in a direction that's not that's not entirely promising, because it 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 really looks like. I mean, even even from a, from a politics, because you were involved with Occupy, or no, even from a political or socio economic point of view. It looks like more and more the corporations or the private companies are gaining sort of uh, power and becoming more powerful than even nation states. And I think that's one direction that we're moving towards where we might even get to a point where a company like Facebook could be recognized as as an entity outside of nation states, if I can put it that way
1: well but i think there'll always be that that fact that they can be held responsible i think that's the, probably the big issue
0: that's the issue that, that, <laughs> that they, they, they can have their own rules and
1: live by their own but will you know there be a facebook or a uh a google tropolis maybe but i think by that point you know you have ma bell type situations right and we're like you have governments that are going to want to take that power, you have all these shifts of stuff, so I don't know it it's one of those things where like it's- while, while I understand where that can be a, a perception that would just be a just be a huge a huge regulatory nightmare uh, yeah. because you know the you can as a government make overreaching things right like if we're being honest our our government could probably easily shut Facebook down and take all its money
0: if they wanted to, but but it probably benefits them in one way or another.
1: Oh, exactly right. And so, worst case scenario, right, is this is companies like the Facebooks and the Googles uh, become more government, uh, yes. as opposed to you know they grow to a certain size and they just become another part of the government. It's like a natural selection. I
0: never, I never thought about it that way. But that they could be co-opted to becoming like a, a department of the government,
1: or at the very least, their growth is is controlled and stifled by that. We'll invest so much in what you do. That we end up controlling what your company does and makes and that kind of thing, right? Like that's just I mean, especially uh, democracy with capitalism, that's 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 a pretty big win. But isn't
0: that happening already? I mean, through not directly, but through regulation where the, the US Senate can call in Facebook or Google and say, Oh, you had this data breach or this and this happened therefore we imposing these rules if you don't do this we'll do xyz sort of they're not directly doing it but indirectly
1: and i think that's probably the first step towards like just going in and doing it right like i'm gonna slap your hand at first and then i'm just gonna go in and do it yeah like and i think that's ultimately the the big thing like i guess the question isn't like is it happening now or has it happened it's more like has it happened yet who's to say they they haven't put given money to cryptographers to make encryptions less right or Or we already have export laws that, you know.
0: Well, talking of cryptography, just to as we get to the end of this chat, there's actually a report, I think it was the Washington Post last week, that said that uh, the CIA bought... uh, a crypto company back in the day. I think it was called Crypto AG, but this is not a software one. I think it was during, after World War II or something like that, they brought a cryptography company that was used by different, like a hundred or so nations around the world. And they silently bought it and they sold the solutions to different com- uh, countries around the world. And they were just listening. Things like that, are, it's, it's possible that they're already doing that. So if they could do that post-World War II, I, I'm almost certain that they're already Infiltrated in one way or another, some security companies.
1: Well, of course, right? Like it's a really simple plan. You have a large military force, and the the fact of the matter is, they're going to need jobs when they're done. We need technology. Other countries need technology. So why not silently buy this company and then we'll sell it to our, our allies, our enemies, or whatever the case the, the may be, just to uh, keep tabs no on
0: there.
1: Right, because cause we can then make the claim we don't put back doors in these things. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right, because I don't need to clone your, or I don't need to make your math worse. I just need but I just key, I own it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I need a copy of your key, and yeah, it, it it wouldn't surprise me at all if that's not like the de facto large nation state like move number two when you come into power. So
0: effectively, as I thought, I mean, I'm 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 not far off in thinking that the future doesn't look so bright. <laughs>
1: It's not even that it doesn't look bright. It's you ha- whether you accept it or you fight against it, really. And, like, I personally, I'll sit idly by until, you know, I guess the next revolution. I don't know. But, yeah. you know, it for for me, creating and, and giving to the communities where I, I prefer to put my time. I am ultimately an optimist. I believe that the solution's out there and we'll eventually find it. Like, yeah, there'll be some giant government overthrow of all private businesses, right? And all of a sudden we're... yeah. yeah. You know, but at the same time, like I feel that like people inside that would be like, yeah, no, nah, this isn't going to happen. <laughs> you know, so, so it's like, like a f-
0: two forces like just trying to pull in different directions.
1: There's that, there's that match that's, that's there, right? That natural aggression to like, hey, 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 you're trying to step on my toes.
0: <laughs> Thank you for your time, higginio As I said, it's interesting the culture in terms of hacking culture, how it's evolving and how it's contributing to the world. And I think as much as I'm. I say I'm not optimistic. I think with hacking culture, we'll definitely find a solution or get closer to finding a solution as we go
1: forward. I agree. I think we'll, we'll eventually find it and it may take a revolution or two or it may just come peacefully in the night. But the change is coming and it'll come eventually. And, you know, who knows? Maybe we'll go to the next step of whatever the Internet is. Let's hope so. Thanks mm-hmm. for your time, man. Oh, no problem, man. You have a good day.
0: Thank you for listening to The Tefo Mohapi Show, which is broadcast by iAfrican Radio. To be notified of future episodes of this podcast and any other shows from iAfrican Radio, please visit radio.iafrican.com. That is radio.iafrican.com and subscribe. You can catch future episodes on Apple Podcasts or anywhere else you listen to podcasts. Also, don't forget to leave us a review and rating of the show on Apple Podcasts. You can also follow me on Twitter at defomohapi, which is T-E-F-O, M-O-H-A-P-I And also don't forget to follow iAfrican2 on Twitter at I-A-F-R-I-K-A-N Hot